Dive into The Divider, Trump in the White House, 2017 through 2021. Go inside the Trump Oval Office from the chaotic beginnings to the violent finale with unprecedented access to cabinet officers, top advisors, family members, and Trump himself. New York Times bestselling authors Peter Baker and Susan Glasser offer a riveting must-read portrait of America's 45th president. The Divider is in stores now. I'm Su Lin Wong, host of The Prince, a new podcast series from The Economist. It's about China's leader, Xi Jinping. He's the most powerful man in the world, but he remains a mystery. His story is hidden behind a brutal censorship and propaganda machine. After 10 years in charge, it looks like he'll break convention to stay on, perhaps for the rest of his life. I'll tell the real story of China's leader, the lessons he learned from watching his parents lose everything and from rising through the ranks of a vicious regime. Now, he's using those lessons to control over a billion people. He's changed China, he's changed my life, and the decisions he makes affect us all. To understand what's next, you need to know where he came from. Listen to The Prince from The Economist, wherever you get your podcasts. Today, we're circling the wagons yet again as the Broncos drop their fourth straight game, but this time in spectacular fashion in Philly. What exactly is going on with this team? Did guys quit on their head coach? We'll break it all down. You are listening to the Huddle Up Podcast. Welcome to the Huddle Up Podcast, your go-to show for all things Broncos. Here we are yet again, everybody, the Huddle Up podcast presented by Mile High Huddle, here to help exercise the demons. It's time to drop some knowledge along the way. I'm your host, Chad Jensen, Scout Media, CBS Sports Digital. With me, as always, is Will Keys, editor and writer at Mile High Huddle. Will, I did something I very rarely do. I went out on a limb uh, this past week. I went beyond just picking a winner or a loser for Broncos versus Eagles in the mile high round table and i posted a bold prediction video if you will and my prognostications could not have been more wrong but let me ask you this will what does it mean if cnn host jake tapper retweets you to kind of rub your face and in, in the mess only to delete said tweet a few minutes later how do you interpret that well, first of all, serves you right for uh, trying to be bold or, or have an opinion that, that goes against the norm. <laughs> so I, I hope you'll heed that advice and, and just play it down the middle uh, in the future. But I, from what I gathered, um, obviously Jake Tapper's a Philadelphia Eagles fan. Um, so pretty good season for, for him and the rest of Philadelphia. But what I uh, inferred from his tweets after he deleted it was that he didn't want people to think that he was, you know, just focused on football in the wake of, uh, the, the tragedy in Texas. So that's, that's kind of why he, uh, he put it up and then took it away 
I think in any other circumstance on on any other given Sunday, as we, as we like to say, um, he would have rubbed your face in it, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> we would we would have the Jake Tapper stink on us for for months and months to come. Oh my lord! I'll tell you what, though, even just tweeting it for however long it was up, I mean, I would think probably less than ten minutes was it actually up before he deleted it. You know, people aren't necessarily uh, refreshing their feed, so that if they if right. someone didn't refresh their 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 feed. I mean, he's got like a million and a half followers, and uh, the the mentions on that Twitter handle, the Mile High Huddle Twitter handle, were just going off, dude. It was it was brutal. And it, again, it's it's one of those things like, you know, I've received a few questions on it, and here's what it comes down to. We'll talk more about it in the show, but basically, I had a gut feeling about this past week. I was deceived, and I should have known better than to to go out on such a limb because bold predictions they're fun. You know, they make for good reading or in this case of a video fun watching but you know if you're going to make a bold prediction you better have some kind of basis in reality and for me I thought I did I mean reading the tea leaves last week I honestly uh, thought so I thought I had a beat on what was going on couldn't have been more wrong and we'll get more into it here in just a few minutes but first please understand huddle up is here to give you a deep dive on your favorite team the Denver Broncos and we need your help we can't grow this show without you if you haven't done it yet take a second Make sure you go to iTunes and leave a creative review. Rate the show. Helps us big time in growing and reaching new listeners. If you're not an Apple user, you're listening on Stitcher or you're listening on Spreaker, leave a review. Very helpful. We appreciate it. Also, make sure you are following the show on Twitter, at HuddleUpPod. And just make sure also you're following Mile High Huddle both on Twitter, at Mile High Huddle, and Facebook because we're doing a lot of different things with both those social accounts. With Facebook, after each game, Nick Kendall gets up and uh, does a Facebook Live, answers questions, kind of a quick reaction after the game. I've started doing a little bit more on uh, doing Facebook Lives. and So we're, we're kind of cooking some things up. Make sure you're following us there because, I mean, this, this team, it feels like it's off the rails. And we're going to have so much to break down and talk about in the coming weeks. And uh, make sure you're subscribing because you're not going to want to miss a single episode. Now, we have a lot to get to today, but first we want to say thank you to our sponsor, MyBookie.net. MyBookie.net is all about the excitement of making accurate sports predictions on your favorite teams without having to risk any funds. Totally recreational, and there are all kinds of prizes because in today's climate, the fantasy industries have made watching football a lot more interesting by raising the stakes. So go to MyBookie.net, compete for great prizes totally free. All right, well, let's talk about this debacle, yet another debacle we have to break down. Yeah. Eagles 51, Broncos 23. Um, just to kind of run through this litany here, the Broncos posted 226 total offensive yards. Let me double check that real quick because is that a typo? Let me see. Total yards, total yards, not a typo. 226 total yards for the Denver Broncos. Eagles 419 the Broncos once again lost the turnover battle two turnovers to Philadelphia's one Brock Osweiler of course through those two interceptions the first came late in the first quarter definitely hurt uh, from a momentum perspective the second Brock Osweiler interception came after the Eagles had uh, scored their fifth touchdown and I think just, you know, watching the game, I've I watched it uh, now one and a half times. I was about halfway through right before we started prepping for the show. And just my, my, my uh, initial reaction to the Osweiler version, Will, of the Broncos offense, it felt like there was a little bit more fire there. 
and it felt like he brought a little bit more leadership and a little bit more charisma to the team, which I think they really need badly right now, especially on the offensive side of the ball. And while it certainly wasn't any kind of market improvement, you know, we're not talking about a guy that went out on the field in Philly and laid down a Hall of Fame caliber performance. I do think the offense looked slightly better. I mean, yeah, it was three field goals. They had to score touchdowns, but they didn't. They got three field goals. But flip side to that coin, Will, is the, is the most points they had in the first half since week four. And being totally honest, you know, taking off all blinders, <laughs> taking off all Simeon apologist hats, did you, Will, notice anything different or improved in the Broncos' offense? What were your takeaways? No, not really. Um, I, I didn't really notice any, like, fire leadership. It's – I don't know how, you know, just throwing terrible picks is showing leadership if you just show that you're angry about it. Well, here's an example. Here's an example, okay? okay? Uh, Just one one little one off the cuff. Uh, I can't remember what quarter it was in, but he threw threw a a ball that was almost intercepted. And after the play, you could see it from the television broadcast that he's signaling, he's gesticulating to, I think it was Sanders, actually, if I recall right, on the left hash, the left sideline, he's you know basically saying, "Look, you need to come back to the ball. You need to come back to the ball." He's being animated, and even though you know we don't really know what that route was supposed to be, it might have been totally on Brock, and maybe he was making excuses, or the or the receiver might have not uh, broken off the route the way he should have. But th- that type of uh, being assertive and and it just shows more of a leadership. Where Simeon, you never saw anything like that, at least on Front Street. If there was anything like that, it happened behind closed doors that we never saw. Yeah, I mean, I tend to I tend to err on the side of um, that's probably stuff that gets ironed out in private, and that's just kind of Simeon's personality type. Um, to be fair, the the game cut out on CBS um, something like halfway through the third quarter, just because it was such a torrential blowout um, that CBS and Sacramento cut away to I think it was like Titans Ravens. So much of much of their collapse from the half halfway of the third quarter on is, is pretty much hearsay to me but having seen most of the game you know i i got an idea that um the broncos are still terrible on offense uh while the offensive line i think was probably a little bit better in pass protection um and osweiler was able to step up a little bit more uh it didn't really help that they could run the ball which um, outside of the Kansas City game last week, they, they really haven't been able to do since they started losing. Um, if you want to spin it some way, you could you could point out that the Broncos had a 3 nothing lead in this game, um, which is their first lead since their uh, four-game lead, four. losing – yeah, since their four-game losing streak started, so you know there's that to hang their to hang their hats on, but otherwise more the same. And you know I think it just goes to show that scapegoating one member of the offense uh, is usually not going to work. And it's the team effort. And while the quarterback was not playing well, if you're not inserting Peyton Manning, Brett Favre, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers into the mix, your your porous offense is is not going to be lifted by switching to Brock Osweiler. Right, and I don't think anybody expected Osweiler to come in and, and really be like the savior, saving the day himself. But I think what a lot of us expected was to see some kind of a spark. And in in the early stages of that game, at least before that first pick, before the first pick, it felt like there was some more energy and some more life to that offense, even though you go back to that first possession. Yeah. I mean, they were moving the ball. I mean, they were they had a shop set up in the red zone 
before Garrett Bowles, of course, gets called for that that holding penalty. And, you know, so things like that, it's another two steps forward, one step back. But at the end of the day, let's look at Brock Osweiler's numbers real quick here, Will. End of the day, Brock Osweiler went 19-38, 208 passing yards, uh, one touchdown, two interceptions, was sacked three times, uh, finished with a quarterback rating of 53.4. And to go a little bit deeper on some stats from PFF, some uh, insights here, he also, first of all, his, his overall grade was 33.7, which is putrid if you understand PFF grading system. Osweiler mm-hmm. also had two uh, interceptions dropped, according to PFF, and they also charged him with two quarterback hits and two hurries, which, of course, stems from kind of standing in the pocket uh, and a little too long before releasing the ball. So those are his stats, and I want to talk more about what you think of Osweiler, but first... Here's what Vance Joseph on Monday. Usually I like to pull clips from the Monday press conference because immediately after the game, whether it's a win or a loss, uh, the coach is going off of limited information. I mean, he's there live, obviously, in the game, but he's not able to really evaluate the film, uh, talk to his guys, have meetings, meet with his position coaches, his coordinators, and get feedback. So Monday, they've always had a chance to to at least watch the film and uh, have those meetings. So you get to... You know, our, our, uh, the takeaways are a little bit more meaningful. Here's what Coach Joseph had to say, not only in response to who is going to start this coming week against the Patriots, but what he thought overall of Brock Osweiler taking over the ship here uh, in Philly. Uh, Brock, your quarterback against the Patriots. Yes, he is. <clears throat> well, I thought Brock I thought Brock had a excellent week of preparation. It, it felt good to our team. It was a confident week. Uh, energy was better. It was urgent. It was detailed. The meetings were better. So Brock's experience and Brock's uh, personality really helped our team bounce back and gave us confidence going into this week. So I think Brock's earned it from that standpoint. In the football game, it wasn't perfect again. Um, you know, he had he had two interceptions, which he can't have. He understands that. He had a couple ill-advised throws. But Brock did some good things as far as putting us in good plays, the uh, red zone audible to DT for the touchdown. That was one of Brock's audible. So I think Brock deserves one more week to kind of prove he's the guy for us because he had a great week of preparation. If that week doesn't work out? Well, again, I'm only concerned about the Patriot week, and you know we'll see where we are next uh-huh. Monday. All right, Will. Now here's the thing for you. You you talk about you know several times you've gone back when we've debated the quarterback situation, talking about Trevor Simeon. You say you know I tend to go with what the coaches say. If the coaches think he's what needs to be, then that's what you know I'm going to err on the side of what the coaches think. Now here mm-hmm. we we're, we're listening to Coach Joseph say that in his opinion there was a palpable change in the team under Brock during the week of preparation and even some on on uh, on the field, and that he deserves at least one more swing at the plate. I think he's going to get uh, at least three more before the team bites the bullet and moves to Paxton Lynch. But what say you? Who should be the quarterback against the Patriots? And what did you think overall of Osweiler in Week 9? Well, it it looks like it's going to be Brock Osweiler. And at this point, um, Paxton Lynch has been throwing, but um, team doctors aren't really sure if he's ready to take hits. And given the state of the offensive line and the pass protection uh, and, and the defense that they're about to face and the Patriots who, who can actually get after the quarterback pretty well, um, you're probably going to want to put out a quarterback that can sustain a little bit of punishment. So I think Brock's probably the right choice uh, next week. Um, I am disappointed to announce that the game is on Sunday Night Football. Um, 
which is uh, kind of terrifying uh, if they play anywhere close to the way they did against Philadelphia. But oh, it is pretty bizarre to think about it in a lens of two years passing and Brock Osweiler was playing the Patriots on Sunday Night Football almost two years ago exactly. Yep, I was at that game. It was like <sighs> 18 degrees outside and snowing. Man. Probably, you know, one of the one of the best games at least I've ever seen. Um, oh, yeah. Certainly in the regular season, maybe all time. But um, <laughs> how far how far the mighty have fallen? Um, they're three and five going into this game. The Patriots, of course, um, kind of shook off their their initial struggles um, earlier in the season. So I, I think they're they're on course. Um, but to get to Osweiler in in particular. You know, you've always talked about the spark that you thought he'd provide. Right. And, and I think there's something to that, but a spark only lasts you so long. I think there's different examples of that. Like, I think Osweiler, you could tell, like, there was a little bit of a spark on that first drive. But sometimes it only lasts a drive or, or two. Or one which, thing goes wrong. and Yeah, yeah, and all the momentum is lost. Um, or, you know, you have a spark in the case of Tim Tebow, and it lasts, you know, half a season. Um, but it's generally not sustainable, and those are kind of two extremes. But uh, overall, not too impressed. Uh, he's just kind of the, the same Brock Osweiler that we saw in Houston, um, and we got a little limited look at with the Cleveland Browns. So uh, I'm not anticipating that he'll be around as long as uh, Paxton Lynch is healthy. Um, so un- unless he shocks everybody and upsets the Patriots again on Sunday night football, which I don't really anticipate at this point. Yeah. Um, I think it's just a waiting game to see when Paxton Lynch is ready to take hits and get out on the field. That's a good point though, about a spark because a spark, and that is something I've been harping on for the last four weeks. Um, and I think what it really comes down to at the end of the day is, you know, making a quarterback change like that can certainly spark a team, spark an offense, but it's incumbent upon everybody, including the quarterback who is supplanting the, the previous starter, to capitalize on that spark and to cultivate it into a, into a blaze, if you will. And it looked for a time like the Broncos were going to be able to do that. But again, lack of focus, uh, mental errors, things, I mean, it just adds up to this gigantic swell of negative momentum. And if we've learned anything about Brock Osweiler, even in his time uh, as the Broncos starter back in 2015, he's not well equipped to overcome that type of negative momentum. Now, he wasn't helped. I mean, if you listen to, to Vaughn Miller after that game, listening to him, I mean, he sounded choked up like he was almost on the verge of tears. Like, he, he just he sounded emotional he said afterward uh, to paraphrase him basically that this wasn't on the offense this this loss is solely on the defense that they quote pissed the bed and it really has will been a long time since we've witnessed a defensive collapse of the magnitude that we saw from the broncos on sunday again eagles dropping 419 total yards uh, seven touchdowns and a field goal and really, the Broncos, uh, I mean, individually, Von Miller received excellent grades, once again, from Pro Football Focus. You know, we can go through them as far as just, just real quick from Vaughn, because he's been getting a little bit of flack. College can be expensive, but saving now can help your students save later. Give your child's college savings a boost by registering for a chance at a $1,000 savings plan deposit for 6th through 12th graders. Sign up today at iowastudentloan.org slash register. Lately for not toeing the line certain uh, parts of the fan base. But he basically, this is according to PFF quote in an email they sent us. 
Vaughn Miller posted another elite performance, finishing with a 92.6 overall grade. His 87.9 pass rush grade was fueled by five pressures, one sack, four hurries on 25 pass rush snaps. Vaughn also posted a ridiculous 96.4 run defense grade. He had a 28.6 run stop percentage, totaling six run stops on 21 defensive snaps, or excuse me, run defense snaps, and then also added one more stop in the passing game. So there, you know, he, he did create a few hurries, but there was no consistent pass rush. And so far through a couple of games, we've seen no impact from Shane Ray's return to the playing field. In fact, it feels like the Broncos' pass rush, uh, pass rush has regressed since he's returned, and we've seen less snaps from Shaq Barrett. But also, I mean, from the Broncos' defense getting down to the nitty-gritty, missed tackles galore, uh, lack of communication, lack of discipline. There's guys at times who looked like they, they quit, and I'm thinking specifically of that first play, that first touchdown, Alshon Jeffrey on Philly's first uh, opening drive. I mean, Akib Talebi got burned, but like he didn't really even he didn't try to get to full speed on that. It's like he saw the ball going over his head, looked at the distance to the to the end zone, and just basically stopped running. Now, has he lost a step? I'm not going to go quite so far as to say that he has, but it didn't look to me like he was trying his hardest to overcome from getting burnt on that and at least try and make an effort to catch the the ball carrier. But the Broncos went on to allow 197 rushing yards and the first rushing touchdown of their season. Carson Wentz looked like a freaking golden god going against the no-fly zone. Look at these numbers. 15 of 27, didn't have a ton of passing yards, 199. But four touchdowns, zero interceptions, was sacked only once, finished with a quarterback rating of 118.7. I mean, this was a guy, Will, and an offense that could do no wrong. In fact, the only traction the Broncos got in this game from a defensive perspective is when they put Nick Foles in the game, and Von Miller was finally able to get home, get a strip sack, which Brandon Marshall returned for uh, six. Yeah, I mean, that's one thing we haven't really talked about is that the Eagles are really, really, really good, and Carson Wentz is the MVP, I think, without question. And it, it kind of looked like the 2013 Broncos out there yesterday um, where they just poured it on, and, and it just – so quickly yeah um they just you know before you you turn your head and whoops they've got 44 points and you know they're they're just a special offense and i think carson wentz is the best quarterback in the league at the moment um and i don't think that's particularly debatable right now uh so you know i don't think anybody really quit watching that first to keep Tlaib play where Alshon Jeffrey beat him um I think I think Tlaib just got caught looking in the backfield which I don't blame him because I got faked out and I was watching the broadcast so um I you know that was just a bad play by him so I, I don't know I don't know that he really quit the defense overall pushed around and they I was surprised they couldn't get a pass rush um even though the Eagles were without uh their starting left tackle Jason Peters. Um, Lane Johnson did a really good job. The Broncos were jumping off sides, it felt like, every other play just about. Yeah, uh, Vaughn Miller and, yeah, Von Miller and Shane Ray were just very undisciplined. And I think that's I think that's really the only bad thing you can say about Von Miller at this point in his career is sometimes he's just there too early. Well and, in, and I don't in, know yeah. In their defense, just real quick, um, I heard talk after the game from some of the players that they went into that game uh, with a what they felt like was a good beat on Wentz's cadence, and he totally changed yeah. it in game. And they they just he caught him several times. It was excellent execution on his part. Yeah. So 
I guess credit to to Carson Wentz because he's doing everything right. But I, I think that's really all you have to say about it is the Eagles are really, really good. Um, mm-hmm. The Broncos are as bad as they have been since, I don't know, since Kyle Orton was the quarterback, I think. Yeah, I mean, uh, that, that was one of the running themes if you if you go back and either read some of the quotes or, or watch some of the post-game interviews was guys yeah. just saying, look, we're, we're just not a good team. We're not a good team right now. Yeah, and they, I, I wouldn't. I, it's hard to say too that they're that they're just not a good team in general. They're certainly not a good team right now. But this is the same, you know, fifty three guys that blew out the Dallas Cowboys, a team that beat the Chiefs um, at home yesterday. So yeah. I don't know what you really chalk it up to. It's it's a little bit mysterious. Uh, it's a little bit of the snowball effect. Um, but certainly, just about everything is going wrong right now. Well, let's talk a little bit more about it because I'm on record as saying that some guys, not all, uh, quit on their team on Sunday and that, and maybe even their head coach uh, in Philadelphia. Imagine for a second or two this. For the past two seasons, basically, the Broncos have been under a delusion that they are basically one middle-of-the-road quarterback away from winning it all. Uh, and then in comes a rookie head coach, Vance Joseph. He steps into a veteran locker room. You got guys, veterans, all pros, replete. They've got a Super Bowl ring. They're saying, they're thinking, you know, here comes this rookie coach. We know better than he. Meanwhile, Joseph's saying, listen, I know you guys have won a world championship, but we're going to do things my way. And at first, of course, you know, the veterans are going to swallow that for a time, see how things go, but adversity hits and the veterans are going to succumb to human nature, and they're going to start to question their head coach. I mean, again, this is a guy new to his job as a head coach. He's, he's never won a Super Bowl. He's never even come close to competing in a Super Bowl as a coach. They have, so they tune him out. And meanwhile, the Broncos, as a team, they've, they've lost any kind of identity. They're infighting with one another. They're pointing fingers at each other. And here we are. The Broncos are embattled in the, the longest losing streak in the John Elway front office era. And I want to get your take on this, Will. But first, let's let's hear how Coach Joseph addressed the question as to whether or not, in his opinion, guys quit on him in Philly. Here's what he said. Um, I wouldn't question effort after watching the tape. It was it was tough to see during the game because you can't watch every every player each play. But um, after watching the tape, I don't I don't question the effort. I really don't. I question guys pressing. I question guys trying to make plays. I, I question guys freelancing, trying to make plays. That I do question. But the effort was there. The effort was there. You know, and that team was a good football team. They showed up with a lot of enthusiasm. They played hard also, you know, but the effort was there from our football team. All right, so Coach Joseph saying after watching the tape, he wouldn't question the effort of his guys on the field. But what did you see on Sunday? Elaborate a little bit more on what you talked about earlier, Will, from the Broncos. I mean, again, we're talking about a 50-burger. Did you get the sense at all that guys quit on the team, on their head coach, or is it really something as simple as just chalking this up to a bad day at the office, which I have a hard time doing since these four losses, I mean, almost every one of them, with even even the Chiefs one, I mean, the, they were just sloppy, absolute debacles uh, in when it comes to losing a football game in the National Football League? I mean, I would chalk it up more to the defense just having a bad day. And the offense is bad, so I think badly, just about every game. And the defense 
was pretty much the only thing that was keeping uh, these last few games from from looking like you know the score that we saw yesterday, where it ended up being fifty-one to twenty-three, and even that was uh, a little bit closer than um, I think the rest of the game would indicate. So I think when you throw in the fact that the defense was off, clearly, I don't think they quit. I just think they just had a bad game, and they're they're facing a tremendous offense that was boosted with um, the trade of Jai, and then obviously the MVP caliber play of Carson Wentz. So I think when you put that together with a bad offense, you know, it's just the worst case scenario. And that's what happened yesterday. Yeah, going back and and watching that, I mean, the play calling was so on point for the Philadelphia Eagles. I mean, we're talking about like, you know, Mike Shanahan in his prime play calling and Peyton Manning commanding an offense from under center and just dissecting a defense. I mean, it was absolute utter domination from the drop. And it just felt like, you know, from a preparation standpoint, the Broncos just simply weren't ready. I mean, they either totally misread uh, their, their the film, they totally misjudged the team, whatever it might have been in terms of pre, uh, you know, the week leading up to the game, their preparation. But they just did not come in any way prepared to take on that team. And I just come away again with the play calling and the savvy and just the situational awareness and creativity. I mean, it was phenomenal. And yes, you know, you go, well, why can't the Broncos do that? Well, you need to have a phenomenal quarterback to be able to operate that, capitalize on the looks, capitalize on the fakes. You know, it, it's, it takes a village in reality, but at the same time, you can have all those pieces in place, but if you're missing the guy who has to execute each and every snap, you're not going to, you know, you're not going to get it done. And that's where it boils back down for the Broncos is they're still a team at, you know, they're, they're lost at sea, a ship without a rudder, whatever analogy or metaphor you want to use, so long as they don't have that bona fide franchise quarterback. Yeah, I mean, that, that's really the case. They're pretty much without direction at this point. I think yesterday also exemplified that Doug Peterson's a much more creative play caller right now than Mike McCoy is. Oh, yeah. And he knows what to do with his personnel. And Mike McCoy's, you know, <laughs> they they just don't attack quite as well. Um, they don't get their guys in space. You know, it, everything just seems predictable, and and that's that's what was taking place. And I know there's a little bit of um, I don't want to say backlash, but there's this little like theory that Trevor Simeon kind of his pre-snap habits i guess you'd call it was were tipping plays before they're happening right like if there's a run you know he'd have his left foot back or something or just little things that defenses pick up on mm. after watching hours and hours of tape but i, I don't know I, that just doesn't seem right to me like i i just think you know mike mccoy's had some pretty obvious tendencies that you pick up on and nothing nothing he does like seems to surprise me like right you kind of see a play action unfolding before it happens. They get themselves into very predictable down downs and distances, which I think hurts them too in terms of play calling. But maybe that's just um, the snowball effect as well. But there's definitely a huge coaching discrepancy, and I think Doug Peterson's one of the best right now, and and the Broncos are, are lacking. And he learned from one of the best play callers in the business, and Andy Reid, right, uh, coming from uh, Kansas City, and. And even previously, if I recall right, uh, Reed's administration in Philadelphia. So it's kind of a 
if I recall right, almost a, a coming home too for Peterson taking that head coaching job. But you know, another theme I think it's it's fair to address at this point, eight games into the season, Broncos at three and five. Is this a you know when when Vance Joseph took this job, sixteenth head coach, he fed us what felt like a company line, but it gave everybody the warm and fuzzies, which is you know look. This isn't a, a, a rebuild. This is a reboot, right? We all recall that. But is it time to face facts? I mean, the Broncos are deluding themselves, in my opinion, if they're continuing to believe that they have a Super Bowl window. I mean, I just think that ship has sailed, and so the priorities and the focus have to shift accordingly. At what point does the team focus on rebuilding aspects this year? Like, you know, for example, seeing what they have in Paxton Lynch. Uh, getting to some of the younger guys more playing time. Obviously, the news broke uh, on Monday that they're they're basically uh, shutting down Jake Butt and Chad Kelly for the year. Chad Kelly, that came as no surprise. Jake Butt, there was some hope there that he was going to be able to get activated. But So those guys, when it comes to younger players, we're not going to see them out on the field this year. But there are other guys, uh, D'Angelo Henderson, for example, who the Broncos can get some looks at. But where do you stand on this idea of it being – Reboot, uh, rebuild or reboot, Will, because, you know, the Broncos at this point, I just don't see any realistic evidence that they have a shot to compete uh, for the playoffs this year. Is this a full-blown rebuild? Is it time to face the facts? I mean, it's not a full-blown rebuild because if you're talking about a full-blown rebuild, you'd be talking about getting rid of your best players, um, of which if the Broncos weren't a talented team that needed to rebuild, they wouldn't have many, but you'd talk about, you know, getting rid of uh, like Demarius Thomas' contract, um, Akeem Tlaib's contract, which might come up, uh, Emmanuel Sanders, you know, you'd be questioning that Vaughn Miller contract, but that's not the case. Like they, they're not particularly cash strapped at this point, and a lot of that has to do with the fact that they're not paying a quarterback big money, um, which is the problem. A, a good. <laughs> uh, well, it, it, it's both the problem and one of the, one of the only things to be optimistic about at this point in terms of reloading. That's fair. Uh, if you want to take that approach right so they're they're still absolutely very talented on defense they have guys like adam gotsis and and todd davis uh and even if you want to look further like justin simmons hopefully brendan langley uh that are there and ready to you know reload in case some guys have to move on so i don't think they're gonna have to rebuild or explode anything on defense you know maybe they get rid of talib's contract or just to give themselves a little more space if they want to make a big splash in free agency but then on offense you know they they just have to really address the offensive line you're only i'm starting to think more and more and the eagles game is kind of more proof that you're only as good as your right tackle is on offense and because think about it like the eagles lost What's his name? Oh, Jason Peters, the left tackle, who's been their stalwart for 10-plus years. And everybody kind of thought, you know, that that might do it for their offense, and they're going to just unravel now, and Carson Wentz is going to, you know, he's going to kind of suffer from the David Carr syndrome that Trevor Simeon is, was now that he's lost his best player on the offensive line. Mm-hmm. But it turns out the the real focal point on that, that offense, and the stats will bear it out if you look at – um, his stats with or without their right tackle Lane Johnson because his rookie year before while Lane Johnson was out Carson Wentz was struggling immensely and his numbers without Lane Johnson show that he's the best quarterback with Lane Johnson I should say show that he's the best quarterback in the league and the Broncos have Metalik Watson Garrett Bowles is playing fine uh, aside from penalties I think 
Um, but it, it just doesn't really seem to help when the tackle that's going up against what's typically the team's best pass rusher yeah. is below average. So that's a big problem. Um, I actually didn't know about the Jake Butt news, so I'm kind of disappointed to hear that. Yeah, he's uh, shut down. He's done. I was I was getting ready for uh, a butt appearance pretty soon. I wanted to see that butt on the field, but we have to realize that you know they've got young players like Isaiah McKenzie who might develop into something on offense. He's already, you know, we should give him credit too because he was playing really badly against Kansas City. Obviously, with that fumble and questionable ball security on another play, and he had a forty-something yard punt return yesterday. Yep. yep. So they've got players like him to look forward to on offense. They've also got Carlos Henderson, who's on IR. So three hopefully – Three draft yeah. picks this year on IR, which is unfortunate. Yep, yep. So him, uh, Henderson, Jake Butt, and then Chad Kelly's kind of a wild card. You don't really know. Um, seems like opinion is pretty split on him. Yeah. Um, a lot of people are saying that he's just not good and he can't play, but I never got that impression. I disagree. Yeah, I, disagree. Um, I think the only problem with Chad Kelly is that he is Chad Kelly off the field. But this so far um, as think, a pro, he's he's kept that batten down. I mean, he's been yeah, you know, he's he's been the obsequious guy in the background, not not making noise. I mean, the the biggest waves he's made since the Broncos drafted him was last week in preparation for Philadelphia. Getting that just right temperature or getting an energy-efficient appliance. It's not only about making smart changes today. It's about creating brighter tomorrows with simple steps to save energy. Plus, you'll help protect the environment for years to come. A better world for you, your family, and your community. Get started with rebates and discover what energy-efficient choices can help you power what's next at AlliantEnergy.com slash rebates. College can be expensive, but saving now can help your students save later. Give your child's college savings a boost by registering for a chance at one of 25 $1,000 savings plan deposits for 6th through 12th graders. Sign up today at iowastudentloan.org slash register. Look for the Save Now, Save Later giveaway under the scholarships page. Log on and register today. That's iowastudentloan.org. Yeah, he made a tweet saying how stoked he was to finally get back to, you know, throwing the football, you know, to paraphrase him a little bit. Kind of a mysterious tweet where we weren't sure what he was talking about or get back to doing what he loves or whatever. And sure enough, you know, they put him out on the field and let him compete and throw the ball and practice a little bit only to uh, realize that we're not going to carry four quarterbacks and there's no realistic shot that we're going to play you this year. So you're you're going down. But yeah. you know, as as a talent, we've talked about this before, and I don't want to derail the show with Chad Kelly, but sure. I'm I'm still of the opinion that this kid can play. Now, you know, you take away a lot of that off the field stuff at, at Ole Miss and even beforehand at Clemson, and I think this is a guy who goes somewhere between the first to the fourth round, not Mister Irrelevant, close to being undrafted, were it not for a you know conversation between Jim Kelly and and John Elway. Yeah, no, he made a lot of good tight window throws from what I saw. I, I definitely watched a few Ole Miss games, and I like what I saw. Uh, he definitely uh, benefited from some pretty talented players like Laquan Treadwell and then even Evan Ingram last year. So had a lot of talent around him, but I, I think he raised the overall you know, offensive prowess of that 
that Ole Miss team in his last couple of years there. And, yeah. you know, I've, I've always liked what I saw out of him. Um, I, as long as he, he keeps everything else in check and it looks like it's going pretty well and it looks like he's a pretty changed guy um, from his days at Clemson and then, you know, various things that may or may not have happened in a, a Buffalo nightclub uh, <laughs> yep. several years ago. You know, I'm, I'm not worried. I, it's hard to say, you know, he's the future because that's a really right. Right. Um, weird thing to say about a guy who is literally the last pick of the draft when you have a first round pick at quarterback also on the team. So, well, and I don't know. I think that at this point, if the season continues to track in the direction that it's going, John Elway is going to have no choice but to make a really big splash on the quarterback front. And whether that's in free agency going after a guy like Kirk Cousins with guns blazing or, you know, try and repeat Peyton Manning history with a guy like Drew Brees or whatever, I think you're going to see John Elway really try and make a splash at quarterback, even if that means they don't get a shot at either of those guys because there's no guarantee that they're going to. Uh, you know, be available necessarily. I mean, who knows what can what can happen between Washington and, and Cousins uh, when the season's over. I mean, they, they might find some kind of common ground, even though it seems doubtful at this point. My, but what I'm getting at is there's no guarantee that they're going to be able to get what might be a top-tier quarterback in free agency this coming offseason, which means they might have to go back to the well. In fact, if they're unable to yeah. get someone, they will go back to the well. But the question for me is, you know, it, will that have been with the information uh, that they can go off of with Paxton Lynch that they got to see him play a little bit more in 2017? Because if we don't get to see much at all from Paxton Lynch this year, how could you go back realistically and draft a quarterback, right. let's say, in the first round when you showed a penchant for not wanting to play the previous guy you invested a first rounder in, A, and B, still – Get, he had opportunities with the team going off the rails to go out there and play. And, and again, you missed the opportunity to let him get some live bullet experience. So, you know, there's there's a lot in the air. But I do think as it relates to Kelly, uh, you know, he, he's going to have a chance to compete to, to have a roster spot next year. But I think no matter which direction it comes from, whether it's free agency, trade, or the draft, the Broncos are going to have a very clear-cut number one guy no open competition. This is the man we're building around in the whole offseason, the whole training camp, preseason. Everything is built around this guy because they can't do any of this ambiguous, wishy-washy stuff for yet another season. John Elway has to do something big time with the quarterback position because until yeah. that happens, this team is con- going to continue to hover around 8-8, eight and eight, you know, locker room divisions, defense – uh, championship caliber defense getting wasted the storylines go on and on forever they gotta find a solution right so that's why i think um as soon as you can get on the field i think you pretty much have to play pax and lynch because you know you're three and five right now i don't think anybody's having grand illusions of the playoffs at this point completely agree. Um, especially given how how you know Things have just compounded and gotten worse and worse. You know, if these were close losses, it might be a different story. But they're three and five, going on three and thirteen at this point. So, um, I think you play Paxton Lynch as many games as you can, and say he gets, I don't know, like six games, and you're not really crazy about what you see. I think 
you have to draft a quarterback if he's there. And even if you're even if you're not sold completely, but he's he's put some good things on tape and shown a little bit of promise, which might end up being the case that you know it's just not clear one way or another after six games. Mm-hmm. Saying that's potentially what he gets, I think you still draft the quarterback at least in the second or the third or the fourth round. Like, I don't know, just like throwing some names out there, not to encroach on on Carl and Nick, but uh, take a guy like maybe say they have like the the tenth pick in the second round, and they get Luke Falk from Washington State. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have you know a, a guy to come in and compete. Um, you know maybe he ends up being someone like Derek Carr who. Um, for one reason or another wasn't the first round guy but ends up you know showing all the promise uh, of a first rounder right or you wait until like the mid rounds you take a guy like jake browning if he comes out i know that's been um, a point of uh of, <laughs> of much controversy um within our ranks nick's not a big jake browning guy right uh i, I think um i think he'll surprise some people um but you know, you just don't know at this point, too, because you don't know if Sam Darnold's going to come out. You don't know. Josh it looks Rosen. like Josh Rosen probably will, and I know you were excited to see him uh, over the weekend but didn't get to. Yeah, bummer. Yeah, so – and even he has, like, a ton of question marks. So there's – you know, we thought this was going to be, like, this loaded quarterback class, and it turned out that, whoops, uh, Sam Darnold's not quite as good as we thought, uh, and he might not come out. Josh Rosen – didn't get a lot better from last year, although he's shown a lot of promise and ability. Josh Allen. Uh, Josh Allen, you know, looks like, you know, 2016, 2017 Jay Cutler um, and not in a good way. Maybe you could say some good things about Lamar Jackson because he's gotten a lot better yeah. as a passer, but yeah. um, I'm still a little bit skeptical. Um, I, I definitely think a team should try him at quarterback. I don't think there's any reason not to. Oh, they will. Then, Somebody will. Yeah, and then if you know he just can't play quarterback or he's just not big enough or something, then then worry about you know playing him at a different position later. But other uh, as opposed to the other way around, you know, because you've got the Terrell Priors to hang your hat on yeah. uh, for that situation. But you know things are never as as they seem, and you know Jimmy Garoppolo is not even signed uh, beyond this year with the 49ers. and That's true. You never you never know what's going to happen, so. At this point, I do think they will be looking for a quarterback. Um, but, you know, on the same token, Pax and Lynch could come in and, and light it up and prove everybody wrong. But yep. I'm not particularly optimistic at this point. Yeah, I mean, I'm not either, to be honest with you. Just because of the way this season has gone, I'm not sure any young quarterback could come in and, and really uh, raise any kind of ships and make himself look too good. But I do, I do agree with you. In fact, I wrote about this on Monday that the Broncos need to – with post-haste, rip off the Band-Aid, get Paxton Lynch on the field, see what they've got. But uh, we got a lot more to get to, including Step Your Game Up, the Mile High Mailbag. But first, we once again want to say thank you to our sponsor, MyBookie.net. MyBookie, again, is all about the fun and the excitement of making accurate predictions on your favorite teams without having to risk any funds. Site members can make picks against real spreads, real lines, and totals for major sports leagues, as well as college sports, and compete for great prizes, courtesy of MyBookie. MyBookie.net is the greatest, most professional, totally free, and most importantly, 100% recreational sports prediction service you can find on the web. Instead of the typical head-to-head challenges and handicapping contests, MyBookie.net goes beyond the basics, offers members a true betting platform that will make users feel like they were in a real betting site. MyBookie is not a gambling or play-for-money site. 
It's a free sports wagering website built for millions of sports fans to provide them with a platform to participate in picking games and predicting scores and competing for free prizes without risking any money. Just like office pick'em contests, just like fantasy football, MyBookie brings a deeper enjoyment and excitement to watching our favorite teams by increasing the stakes. It's fun, and for no cost, you get to make predictions and qualify for prizes. Again, the service is absolutely free for all users, and we say thank you to MyBookie.net for sponsoring the Huddle Up podcast. All right, before we get to step your game up, there's one last uh, storyline issue from Week 9 that I want to tackle here, and that is basically the penalties and the, and the lack of discipline from the Broncos. They had 14 penalties for 105 yards in Philly, which is the most they've had since Week 15 at Pittsburgh in 2015, which, of course, was also a loss. And a lot of them came, these penalties, before the snap, both sides of the ball, whether it was guys false starting or whether it was pass rushers jumping. And then, of course, a lot of stuff happening between the whistles, too many of them coming on third downs on both sides of the ball, whether it's a holding call on offense or defense. And really, it's just inexcusable. It's it's reached beyond a point of any kind of rational explanation. And I think at a certain point, there has to be accountability for these lapses. There has to be accountability by the coaches for players who are just failing to execute and showing consistent mental lapses. I mean, someone besides the quarterback has to lose their job for this type of catastrophic uh, failure, whether it's offensive line guys. I mean, I understand, like, with Garrett Bowles, you can't afford to bench him. You really can't. There's just no one right. else behind behind him. But when you go to, you know, Max Garcia, he didn't uh, have any penalties that I recall in Week 9. But, again, he was a sieve. And uh, you go down the line – Defense. I mean, there's just there's there's nobody is playing like they have a job to lose. Is my point. And meanwhile, you got the consistent attitudes. Um, you know, veterans clearly not buying into whatever Vance Joseph is selling. Bench some of these guys. Akeem, you're getting guff from Akeem Talib. Uh, okay, bench him. Let a young guy get some reps out there. That's what I'm saying. Coach Joseph, you know, he's talked about needing to coach better, you know, to the point where it's become cliche for he and his coordinators. Um, I think at a certain point they have to follow some of the same suit that he showed as a defensive coordinator in Miami last year and bench guys who are not buying in, guys setting bad examples, guys not executing on the field. Now, a lot of that trickles down and reveals itself in penalties, and here's what Coach Joseph had to say specifically about the penalties in Philadelphia, why they came, and where the team goes from here. The penalties, guys, it, it, you know, it's it's two parts of penalties. It, it's it's penalties before the whistle, and it's penalties um, in between the whistles. The ones before the whistle, that's undisciplined, and we can't have that. You know, we had uh, Vaughn and Shane Ray jump off sides four, four times, and think two times on third downs you know it's third and ten it goes to five that changes the entire down you know from getting off the field to now half and half so that we can't have that's undisciplined okay we got to fix that we got to simply watch the football and get off on the uh, right right count okay and rush the passer okay the penalties after the whistle okay with Garrett Bowles with you know I'm not sure what he did to the guy but he got penalized for it we can't have it it's undisciplined okay and that's been addressed with him on numerous occasions so we got to fix we got to fix him because after the play is over, it's over. Go back to the huddle, play the next play. So that part we have to fix. The, the in-between the whistle penalties, okay, you can understand those. They're playing hard. Okay, now, some of them you can't have, like the one we had a hold on a boot play. 
I mean, that's experience, right? It's a boot. Don't hold a guy, right? You just got to shield a guy, make him go around you, and we boot in the other way. But when guys are playing hard in between the whistle, you can kind of justify some of those penalties because they're playing football. You know, the uh, Zach Kerr penalty on the quarterback. I mean, he was told all week to finish the play because this quarterback doesn't slide. So he finished the play, and, and he, was, he was penalized for roughing a passer. That happens. They score the next play. So it, it's, it's two parts. So you guys are absolutely correct. Some of the penalties are, are undisciplined, and we can't have them. The ones before and after the whistle, we cannot have. In between a whistle, it's part of football. Now, it's interesting, Will. He, he brought up the Zach Kerr uh, penalty, which my opinion was ridiculous. I don't know if uh, you were able to catch that at, uh, before they yeah, got I away did. from the game. But as he talked about, I mean, Kerr was coached to basically take Carson Wentz to the ground because of this guy's mobility and his strength to shake off tacklers and all that. That was a ticky-tack call. And a lot of those type of plays, somewhat in the defense of the Broncos, there were several ticky-tack calls by the coaches. But the penalties on third down on both offense and defense, Will, are just killing this team. You can't have them. No, you really can't. And it was, I don't know, like it was a big problem. But I also think, you know, the state of officiating hasn't been very good this year, just as a whole. Like we, I've been kind of, skeptical of the NFL's process of officiating and kind of just their their mindset of many of these officials since the since the Von Miller thing against the Bills I think that was kind of yeah. what tipped me off that things were not quite right and you know it, it might be a long year in terms of officiating um, but to get back to Vance Joseph you know the more I think about it it's just not a good situation and, and maybe this will, you know, get better over time and hopefully it does. But for a rookie head coach to take over a job where most of the team is full of established veterans, guys like Aqib Tlaib, Emmanuel Sanders, Demarius Thomas, Von Miller, Chris Harris Jr., just to name a few names, a team that's already won the Super Bowl, you know, they've got an established personality and established locker room culture. A lot of alphas. Um, for a rookie head coach. Yeah, they're definitely alphas. Um, for a rookie head coach to jump in there and, and try to take over and steer that ship, it's very, it's very tough. And that was, you know, obviously he has a lot of talent, but from a locker room perspective and from a managing personalities perspective, that was a very tough job for Vance Joseph. I don't know. I don't know that Kyle Shanahan does it any better, um, just because he was, you know, the only other name that really. Uh, was mentioned for the Broncos. Well, him uh, and Dave Tobe. Yeah, aside from maybe, yeah, him and Dave Tobe. But we're talking about three rookie head coaches. Right, right. Gary Kubiak was so successful, I think, because he knew better than anybody how to manage the Old personalities. Dog. Yep. Yeah. He, he had been, you know, he was a, a Bronco lifer, basically. He had been in the, in the organization since 1983, uh, had something like uh, – I want to say like eight or nine years of head coaching experience with the Texans. Plus he had so the rings. He, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he, he was well established. And so I think the Broncos, a group of, you know, a nucleus of players that are mostly the same uh, as the ones that Vance Joseph inherited. I think you respond differently to um, a, a veteran head coach who demands respect um, and has, you know, the hardware to back it up as opposed to a guy who was a defensive backs coach for the Bengals, um, a defensive coordinator for the Miami Dolphins. And, you know, that's that's about it. I think and, I think a lot of it will is, you know, it's probably all fine and dandy for these guys, for these veterans when things are going well. 
Right. You know, week one, week two, the Broncos are riding high. They're winning ball games. They're blowing teams out. Uh, sure. Even as home underdogs, things are going good. But the second this thing goes off the rails, the second adversity strikes, it's just, I mean, it, it really is human nature for people in such situations to question uh, the direction of the team. And who better to question than the head coach who's preaching to you every day, running the meetings, um, the guy who's drawn it all up. And so I understand that. But at, at a certain point, we got to see Coach Joseph be that quote-unquote leader of men that he was touted to be. And one of the predominant reasons in which the Broncos wanted to hire him because it dates back to 2016 with the locker room divisions. They they thought this was a guy who had the, the wherewithal, who had the charisma, who had the leadership ability to come in and even as a rookie head coach, command respect. And if respect is not given, you know what? We're going to show accountability. We're going to sit you down and keep to leave. We're going to sit you down, uh, Chris Harris Jr. Some of these guys that are really lippy in the media, some of these guys that are talking out of school, I'm going to sit you down this game and see how much you love football, see how much you're willing to fight for your teammates because it really does. I mean, these, this team has lost an identity. That's, that's a problem. I mean, coming out of a 50-burger like that, this team has lost an identity, and that's a problem. But they're also not fighting for each other anymore. They're not playing for each other anymore. I mean, this is a team so out of whack. And I think there's – I've heard talk that Joseph has been a little bit too lax in letting his coordinators uh, take on a lot of the responsibility. At this point, Vance Joseph needs to be Vance Joseph. He needs to come into this thing, stop trying to manage from you know 10,000 feet, get roll up your sleeves, get in the nitty-gritty, get in the mud, and and just put your stamp on this. You have to get in there and to and maybe play a, a bigger role in the game planning on offense. Play a bigger role on defense. Obviously, he's signing off on these game plans before the team takes the field, but maybe it's time to be a little bit more assertive in what you think of these game plans. And I'm just spitballing as ideas right. of things he can do. I also think a lot of it, again, I've said this multiple times, accountability. He did it in Miami. He sat down Mario Williams. Uh, Williams. He sat down... Uh, the cornerback is slipping my mind now, a guy they paid big money to. And maybe there comes – this is – we're getting to a point where if this type of disengagement uh, continues, you you have to you have to use that heavy hand. You have to sit guys down and let the other players know that there will be accountability, not just for poor execution, but for guys who don't show a team-first type of attitude. And a lot of that, too, is buying into your head coach. you got to buy in. you got to come together as a team. And right now, the Broncos are not doing that. And unfortunately, even though he's a rookie head coach, the onus is on Vance Joseph to take control and make that change if there's going to be a change. Now, we're getting long on this episode, so let's. I want to move this on, Will. We yeah. got uh, Step Your Game Up. We'll kind of go through this a little bit quick. It's uh, that time of the week where we're going to pinpoint a player, we're going to pinpoint a coach, a position group, a unit, whatever it might be. It has to step it, on the, uh, step it up on the field. Will, you start us off. Who has to step their game up? Well, this one's pretty easy for me. Uh, I'm going to say the entire Denver Broncos organization. Uh, I think it pretty much, you know, from top to bottom, I think anybody particularly did too well yesterday from from the head coach to, uh, you know, the last guy on the 53-man. So, you know, maybe like Vaughn Miller aside, uh, he's always going to be good. Yeah, There's just not – really anything to hang your hat on yesterday uh, i liked what i saw out of demarius thomas but you know when you're looking for guys who actually did well as opposed to um people who played poorly usually it's the other way around so yeah 
In that case, I'm just going to go ahead and toss out, you know, the entire 2017 Denver Broncos. Step your game up. I'm going to say the coaching staff, and I'm going to say Brock Osweiler. Osweiler was one of the guys throughout the week. Well, he only spoke once, but when he did stand up and talk, I think it was on Wednesday after the decision was announced that he was going to start. He talked about, you know, ball security is job security, and we saw him make two horrendous decisions with the ball both interceptions were just terrible. And the second one I can understand a little bit more because he was pressing. They were down three or four scores. He was trying to make a big play downfield. That one I can actually kind of excuse a little bit more. The first one in the, at the bottom of the first quarter, that pick on a, on a busted slant to Demarius Thomas. I mean, he's just got to – he explained it after the game, and it actually made sense a little bit, his decision-making. But he uncorked that ball based on a pre-snap read, and his eyes, once he takes that snap, his eyes have to factor into his decision-making. He shouldn't have unloaded that ball. So Brock Osweiler, step your game up, coaching staff, bad scheming, poor preparation, poor decisions, not challenging some of the, the questionable plays that they had an opportunity to challenge like that. Emmanuel Sanders catch, I think, was a catch that was ruled incomplete on the field. They chose not to, to challenge that. Just, I mean, the coaching staff... From a leadership perspective, scheming, everything, they need to step their game up. So let's move on to uh, the Mile High Mailbag. we got quite a few questions tonight, and we'll uh, we'll try and rapid-fire these because, again, we're, we're running a little bit long. The first question, Will, comes from Mile High Maniac uh, on Twitter. His question, or she, is replacing the coaching staff realistically on the table for Denver. And I want to start this one off, Will. Yeah. Absolutely not right now. Uh, even if this team finishes ridiculously, like you know, four and twelve, or even three and sixteen, I would have a hard, or excuse me, three and thirteen, I would have a hard time seeing the Broncos uh, changing the coaching staff again. I think yeah. they'd probably take more of the approach of changing certain personalities in the locker room uh, than changing a coaching staff because you need to have that continuity, and they've lacked that. Um, ever since Coach Fox uh, was shown the door, justifiably so. Uh, the Broncos were proven right that they needed to make that change, obviously, but now they need a philosophical and a leadership type of continuity. And by cutting bait on Vance Joseph after one year in which everything conspired against him, I don't think that would be what they, what the front office would perceive as what's best for the team. Yeah, I've talked about not wanting to be the Browns and that you don't want to switch quarterbacks every half. Well, another way that you don't want to be the Cleveland Browns is you don't want to have a new head coach every season. So, you know, outside of, you know, something just absolutely disastrous happening, like a full scale mutiny or, or if the Broncos actually do find a way to finish three and three and 16, um, I think that's the only way you, you dump a head coach after one year. Yeah. I don't think they'll end up, you know, losing out or anything. I think they'll probably finish around six and 10. They have some good, uh, a good stretch of games coming up after these next two. Yeah. And and let's be honest, like they've played some pretty difficult opponents in the the last few weeks. They played Kansas city on the road, Philadelphia, Philadelphia on the road as well. They've got new England next week. Yeah. And the chargers were playing pretty, pretty freaking well at the time. So, um, you know, outside of that schedule too, this year, I mean, they got dealt a really tough hand. Right. Yeah, no. A lot of things were definitely conspiring against them. Um, so, yeah, no. People are hitting the panic button so early on Vance Joseph. They're hitting the panic button, I think, in the first half against Kansas City when he still had Trevor Simeon in there. So, 
I'm I'm not you know I'm not going to go anywhere near that. Uh, I think you have to give a coach time. So I think you give at least if, if there's not improvement after year two, then I yeah. think it's fine to pull the plug. But you yeah. got to give him a couple years at least. I think Vance has, has two years to prove his worth to the front office. Now, next question comes from Joe Back Broman at Joseph G Ledesma. Apologies, brother, if I butchered your last name there. But my question: What is the source of the Broncos' ailing offense, and can it be fixed this season? Well, I'll let you take this one first. In your mind, what's the source? uh what isn't the source um the offensive line particularly right tackle and left guard would have to be the source there uh the quarterback play also has not been good from trevor simeon to brock osweiler um, outside of those first two games of course so you know it's pretty much as simple as, as that and they're not getting a ton of explosive plays out of the running back position which i think has to do more with the offensive line than anything but another another thing just to kind of go outside the box a little bit, uh, is the tight end position. Because I, I haven't looked at the stats yet, but um, in this case, but I don't know that a tight end – did a tight end even catch a pass yesterday? Yeah, Derby caught like two or three if I recall. Yeah, I mean, not uh, – yeah, not making, making too much of a no. dent. So, uh, you know, and, and they've got Jake Butt coming and yep. hopefully – you know he'll make a difference because you know he was considered to be one of the top two or three tight ends in the draft before he tore his ACL. Yeah. So you know things are looking up. I don't think you necessarily have to make a huge uh, addition there if you believe in Jake Butt and I do. So yeah, um, yeah, quarterback, left guard, right tackle, and tight end. I think uh, you're you're pretty much right on. If you really have to boil it down, it's a lack of a quarterback. I mean, they just don't have a difference maker at quarterback. I mean, they have to be. I, I haven't run the numbers, uh, so I could be wrong on this, but they have to be at least bottom one or two of salary cap space allocated to the quarterback position. And that just speaks volumes to where the team's priorities have been. And it's not that they haven't tried to address the quarterback situation, but what they've done uh, is they've refused to play their first-round quarterback because they've been under the delusion that they still have a championship-caliber window. That's obviously gone, and I think it's been gone since Peyton Manning retired, if we're all completely honest with ourselves. But regardless, they chose not to play a first-round quarterback, and so they failed to capitalize on whatever potential talent ceiling Paxton Lynch had and thus have suffered from subpar quarterback play and that's the difference maker in this league I mean yeah you know you hear about defense wins championships but you don't find teams in the Super Bowl whether they win or lose without a franchise caliber quarterback so if I really had to boil it down it's the quarterback can it be fixed this season you're to answer simply Joe Back Broman no I don't think it can now next question coming from Tommy C on Facebook Let's rapid fire these, Will. If it is time to rebuild, what veterans do the Broncos cut next year? And I'll start this one off. Just a couple cool. names to throw out there. Keep to lead would be top of the list. C.J. Anderson would be number two. Uh, there's a couple other guys you can include, like Brandon Marshall and Emmanuel Sanders. But as was pointed out to me right before we went on this show on Twitter, you know you are looking at some hard, uh, some some dead cap with both Marshall and Sanders if you were to move on in 2018. Probably more realistic would be a 2019 if you're going to move on from either of those guys. But that doesn't mean they couldn't be traded. Uh, and that also doesn't mean that you could not cut them if you're really cleaning house. I mean, if this season really goes off the rails, 
uh, and the Broncos are just, all right, you know what, rebuild, full rebuild move, uh, mode. Let's dump all these contracts and just move on like we've seen some other teams do in recent uh, recent past. It wouldn't surprise me to see guys like that go because you're paying Brandon Marshall upper echelon inside linebacker money and you're doing the same for Emmanuel Sanders. And I know he's been hurt the last couple of weeks, but Emmanuel Sanders has not been the Emmanuel Sanders of the last three years this year. He just hasn't. So you're yeah. seeing both of your, your number one and your number two receivers uh, not playing up to the their contract level. Demarius Thomas is another possibility, uh, even though he's they're on the hook for a big chunk of money next year. So he'd be more along the lines of a trade or you know come to the table and renegotiate type thing. But anyway, for me, those are the main ones. What say you? Yeah, no, I'd pretty much have to agree. I think um, the guys that would get the axe in that case are probably Tlaib, um, Anderson, and then maybe Emmanuel Sanders. It depends in it depends on a few things, uh, such as you know who they get in the draft, who they get in the draft. Um, right, Carlos Henderson, if they if they really have you know a lot of faith that he can be a good number two wide receiver, then maybe you show Emmanuel Sanders the door. Um, Sanders strikes me as a guy who probably and and this might not be fair but just from what i've gathered it 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 doesn't seem like he would really hate to test out free agency somewhere else yeah um given the way the last few seasons have gone and i don't know if i'd necessarily blame him just because he he did everything he could um in 2014 and 2015 he i don't think the broncos win the super bowl without emmanuel sanders so you know, I would have no hard feelings if, you know, it just wasn't working out here. So, and, and same with Tlaib, really. You know, those guys are all heroes to me for, for what they did in 2015 um, and beyond. So, you know, they're hard decisions to make. Things like TJ Ward, it's just, you know, it's just the business of football. So, yeah, you probably, you probably will. I know one of those guys at least um, won't be on the the 2018 Broncos roster definitely here's a bold prediction Akib Talib C J Anderson will not be with the Broncos next year all right last question from Hannah May on Twitter at Han underscore May underscore six top three issues you saw I know it'll be hard to narrow it down that are fixable for next week I would say off the cuff penalties I mean yep those type of focus those type of uh, mental errors can be fixed. You know, guys just need to to hone in and focus and show some intensity. So I'd say the penalties are a huge thing that have been cursing this team over the last four losses. And if they can fix that, number one, that'll make a huge difference on both sides of the ball. So I would say penalties. Um, I would say better. I mean, this is just no-brainer stuff. But, again, the Broncos are screwing up even the most fundamental aspects of football. But protecting the ball – I mean, they continue to give the ball away more than they take it. So give-take ratio has to be better, whether that's also finding ways to to, uh, take the ball away uh, from the opposition. Third issue, what would you say, Will? Top three issues. I named one or two. What's what's another one for you? Yeah, so I agree with penalties um, and then turnovers. Uh, I would add defense into that mix just because I think the Broncos are still capable of playing really high level defense but another issue is they won't have to play Carson Wentz again for another um, (laughs) four four years years, at least Uh, so the bad news is Tom Brady's coming so you know maybe that sparks the defense just because they tend to play really really well against the Patriots Um, so maybe that gets them going 
who knows? You know, I, I'm just glad we don't have to play the Eagles again for a while. <laughs> so I don't, yeah, and I don't anticipate that we'll be meeting up with them in in Minnesota later this season. Unfortunately. Well, here's the silver lining, you guys. Is you know, I've written on Monday. It's time to focus on rebuild. It's we're out of the reboot zone. Time to rebuild and all that. I don't want it to sound like the sky is falling per se. Like there, and even Vance Joseph talked about this on Monday. You know what? We're at three and five. The division is starting to fall our way a little bit. If we can find a way to rip off some wins in the second half of the season, you know, there's there's no <clears throat> guarantee that they couldn't come back and win this division. I mean, it's within striking distance. The odds might be low, but it's within striking distance, and it's also within striking distance to win a wild card the way the AFC is setting up. So keep your chins up. You know, let's be honest with each other. Let's be honest with what this team is right now. But I wouldn't quite go so far yet as to totally abandon all hope. But before we get out of here, we also want to say thank you to our sponsor, Audible. Guys, go get a free audiobook download with a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash huddle up. There's over 180,000 different titles to choose from, whether it's your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Uh, this is something, uh, uh, an app I use seriously every single day. Uh, I'm a big reader, and I don't always have time to sit down, turn the pages. You've heard me talk about this before, but Audible allows me to get the books in that I want to uh, while I'm doing other things, whether it's my commutes, working out, uh, cooking, uh, yard work, chores etc so do yourself a favor and help us out this supports the show big time i promise you obviously you like this type of medium you like listening to your content you will absolutely love audible so get yourself a 30-day free trial and that one audio book to check it out at audibletrial.com huddle up help us out patronize our sponsor so we can continue to bring you this show uh twice a week but uh that'll do it for today we went a little bit long Hope you all enjoyed it. Make sure uh, to find Will in the Twitterverse, at WillKey6, myself, at Chad and Jensen. Continue to tweet us your questions, and we'll always try to address them on the show. Look for Nick and Carl's preview of the Patriots game by Thursday morning. And don't forget to subscribe, you guys. For Will, I'm Chad. We'll talk to you soon. Mile high huddle. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 